My name's Dino. I'm an alcoholic drug addict. Um, I have uh, I'm working the steps right now, and I do have a, a sponsor. My uh, I have two years. Let's see, ten months and eleven days sober. Um, it started when I was uh, probably well. My first sip of alcohol was when I was probably around five. Because <laughs> I, I got drunk. Well, this is what my dad told me. I, me and my brother snuck all this beer out of his refrigerator and had a little party outside uh, under the tree. And I don't, I don't remember it too much, but that's what my uh, dad told me. So that's probably when I first. That was my first experience with alcohol. But later on in life, when I got towards uh, going to uh, junior high. I was drinking a lot, and I was uh, sneaking it from my parents, sneaking it. We even broke into a house of a friend's house just to get alcohol so we can go out and drink, me and my uh, friends. I still feel horrible about that to this day. It was my brother's girlfriend's mom and dad's house, and and that's what that, that I guess... Um, Anyway, I feel bad about it. Um, um, then later on, when I got into high school, we we moved to, from uh, Michigan to California in my ninth grade year. So I ended up going to three different high schools. So I didn't really have a lot of friends. So I ended up hanging out with anybody I could. And it usually, it ended up being the wrong crowd most of the time. Because it, it was just easier to meet friends that, uh, well, I guess it was just easy. And I don't know. But anyway, um, I uh, drank all through high school, um, plus doing drugs, mostly doing a lot of drugs. Um, then um, I, uh, I'm just kind of breezing through all this. Um, I only got 10 minutes. And then... Um, after high school, uh, I, I I really didn't drink as much because I was doing a lot of uh, meth, and I got involved with uh, that, and uh, that really uh, messed me up. Until I met my wife in 1997, uh, I ended up quitting meth, and then then I started really drinking a lot because uh, I guess it's just. It was easier to quit the meth, knowing that I had something else to uh, um, replace it. Yeah, to just hide and get out of uh, life, I guess. So I drank a lot of beer, and um, my wife liked to drink too. Of course, she's sitting right next to me. Um, so we drank together all the way up to two thousand three. When uh, it it just blew up. Um, it she she uh was drinking too much. I was drinking too much. We were fighting. We were constantly fighting. Uh, it was no life for our kids. We had two kids at that point in our life. So uh, she ended up going to rehab, and I ended up quitting cold turkey. So we uh quit for six and a half years, but. We didn't have no program. We didn't have no um, nothing to uh, replace, I guess, 
um, need to get out of our heads, really, because that's what we're trying to do here is get out of our heads. Because we know if we're in our heads too much, it it just kind of uh, destructs. I mean, it just, that's when bad things happen, I guess. But uh, so uh, we went six and a half years and uh, white knuckling it and um, going to school. We used that as our, uh, I guess that was our higher power because um, we didn't know that, but we we just really uh, took, we. Uh, I worked in the day and then I went to school at night. So my time was just, I didn't really have a lot of time to do anything else but sleep, eat, and spend a little time with, my, with uh, Laura. And then um, we, uh, one day I was bored Saturday. It was, um, I remember it so clearly. I, I said, why don't we smoke a joint, Laura? We've been off everything for six and a half years. And so let's just smoke some weed. And um, so we smoked a joint, and then I think that, and uh, we were taking some other pills. But, um, you know, at that point, we didn't know anything about AA. We didn't know anything about recovery. So we didn't think we were doing anything wrong. So once we uh, started doing that, it, it just got regular. And then pretty soon, it, I think, and then we just decided, hey, we can drink. I can drink, so I'm going to get a six-pack. So we had a six-pack, and that was it. Then we were gone. Ten years later, <laughs> um, that's how long it took to get back to uh, recovering. Now we're, um, the pandemic hit, and uh, we were just starting. That She was getting out of rehab. I was doing outpatient at Kaiser, and the pandemic hit and they canceled everything at the outpatient. Laura came home and we needed something. So we, we got online and we started doing meetings on Zoom. And thank God for that because uh, I don't know what would have happened. I, 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 I can't predict what would have happened, but thank God for Zoom because I think that really saved, it saved our life, I think. These Zoom meetings have been everything to us and you guys everybody we've met we've met hundreds of people that have been nothing but nice to us and helping us support it's just a giant support group with this and um and then uh we recovered i mean we're in recovery so it's just it's been great and then um so let me tell you a little about what's going on now um we're still married, thank God, because I don't think we would have been still married if we wouldn't have quit alcohol and drugs. It was driving a stake right through our uh, marriage. And now my uh, daughter talks to us. We got a really good relationship with my daughter, and um, me and my wife's relationship has been really good. It's not perfect. Nothing's perfect, but things are so much manageable these days and it just makes it so much easier to wake up knowing that I don't have to go out and spend $600 a week to supply my uh, um, pill um, when I was taking the pills and meth and everything. It, it cost me a lot of money. It really did. 
and now we can wake up and I can go to work. It's just so much easier. It's just like a big weight was lifted off my chest and it just, now I'm hoping to maybe someday open my, my own roofing company. It's getting closer to that. And um, my wife's doing really well. And she's got a good relationship with her mom. I got a good relationship with my parents and it's just been nothing but um, good things. I mean, it's not great, but I mean, it's so much better than it was. And I, I uh, owe that all to uh, AA and my wife and Kaiser uh, outpatient. And it's just been, I just can't believe the help you get in AA. It's just unbelievable. Um, the commitments, we, we do we do a lot of commitments, which help us more than helps the people that uh, we do the 24-hour hotline on a Wednesday night. And uh, we get calls and it's just, that helps us helping them. And even if they don't call back or even get involved with what we got, but I mean, still, we've, we've planted the seed for them. So, um, you know, that's all we can do. And um, I, I spread the uh, word as much as I can. And if anybody asks me, I turn them on to AA and, it's just been really good. Secretary meetings. Yeah, we secretary meetings, and um, I have. I don't even have the word to describe how much I uh, love everybody in AA. It's just been, well, I don't know. It's just been great. But um, that's all I got. I'm not a great speaker, but I like to uh, speak as much as I can, just because I know I need help in it. Um, but anyway, that's all I got. And thank you for listening. Thank you, baby. You're welcome. That was, I love you. I love you too. Okay. Um, let me get my script back. Um, well, let me do that. Oh, now it's time to pass the basket. <laughs> um, in accordance with our seven tradition, which states that every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting declining outside contributions we have no dues or fees but we do have meeting expenses including podcasts and zoom fees we are responsible for our own meeting expenses you can contribute through the venmo app look for the code right on your screen right now and now i'd like to turn the meeting over to our main speaker richard n i'm excited about this who will share their experience, strength, and help with us until 8.55, but can end earlier if they wish. Richard, do you need any help keeping track of time? Or Oh, you're muted. Uh-oh, you're, there you, wait. <laughs> there you go. Sure, yeah. Yeah, give me time. Yeah, like a five minute? Sounds good. Cool, thank you, Richard. My name's Richard. I'm an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date's May 1st, 2014. And um, I've got a sponsor. I meet with him every every week. I meet with him tomorrow after the 9 a.m. Rockridge. And I work with about seven people. I sponsor about seven people. I'm actively working with four of them. Um, and I've been coming to this meeting since I got sober. So there's nobody identified as being new. But when I first got new, this was one of my first meetings. 
and um, you had to go around and announce yourself if you had under 90 days. Well, you have you said your name and you announced how much time you had if you had under 90. My memory is pretty bad, but I remember announcing myself every week, announcing myself every week. And um, I remember I remember every week until I got up to 90. So it, it's pretty awesome to actually speak at this meeting during, during the 40 minute. I've done the 10 a couple of times. But, um, but yeah, if you're new, it's, it's when I got asked to do this, um, I've been told you just say yes. And I've been told that because I wanted to say no. But I have to keep pushing myself in sobriety. Um, I, um, it's easy for me to get comfortable. I've got a great life. And it's really good when I get out of my um, comfort, out of my comfort zone. Um, so what it was like. Um, I'd like say um, I was always looking for some type of escape. Like I, I started with food. That was my first one, food and sugar. And um, I grew up in a really volatile house. We moved around a lot. My dad was a pipeline welder. So we, we followed the pipelines. We'd move once or twice a year. So I, I was always getting pulled out of school. And um, so like Dean, I was the person that didn't really have any long-term friends. And um, and, I, and I had some social anxiety as well. I have a little bit of OCD. And when I was growing up, I had, had some Tourette's stuff too, where I'd make sounds and I had all sorts of tics. I think from the stress of um, just growing up, being in my family. And um, I, I used to stutter really bad too. So all that made me, it was a perfect recipe for, um, for always looking for ways to get out of my head. And um, what, I see what happened is um, my family life got worse and worse. And the, the police came and took my dad away from molesting my sister. And there was a kind of like this fire that was um, simmering. I'd gotten into punk. I was getting in touch with my anger. And um, I was um, outgrowing some of my tics, but I was becoming like an angry young person is what happened. And he got taken away. And um, and he used to be gone for big parts of the year. But um, like I said, once he got taken away, it was it was like adding gasoline to a fire. And I, I just went from zero to, to, to 100. Um, I, as soon as he left, um, I, I'd, I'd already experimented with drinking. I was not very good at it. I drank until I puked almost every time when I first started. Um, and then I found speed. And um, it was easier for me to control speed than it was um, alcohol. And I'll talk about speed briefly. This is AA, but it, it's a good example of my alcoholism. I did $5 worth of speed at a party. I did $10 at another party and the third party, I bought an eight ball and started selling it. And um, I usually go all in with whatever I do. And I'm grateful for the speed because it brought me to my bottom quicker. Um, but what happened is um, I had a, a violent outburst with my mom and um, ran around the house, yelling, pulling stuff down. We, we got into an argument and um, she um, rightfully so freaked out. I mean, she was really scared of me. And my dad was pretty violent. He, he, he beat us. And um, so I think it just triggered her. 
Um, so she kicked me out of the house when I was 16. And I went to live with my friend down the street. And um, my, my friend had um, five brothers and sisters. He was the sixth. And um, he had really nice parents, just really, really beautiful people. And they were, and they let me stay at their house. I stayed in the in the uh, mom's sewing room. And um, I don't want to say it was great that they loved me. And I, I adjusted and learned how to live, but I didn't. They gave me a place to kind of explore myself. So I sold speed out of the house. I took acid. Um, I took all sorts of other, I, I, I drank a lot. And it allowed me a, um, a quiet room to really kind of lose my mind. And as I was doing, as I was doing this, um, my friend's brother's friend, so it was kind of a family friend, uh, he was sober. And I was 17 at the time. And he talked me into going to an AA meeting when I was 17. And I, and I knew I was an alcoholic. As soon as I started drinking, I, I knew I had, I had an issue. I, I couldn't drink. I couldn't drink like a gentleman. couldn't drink like a lady. Everything I did was to an excess. And um, so he took me to my first AA meeting. I didn't know anything about AA. It, it's not in my family. Um, I've got a sister who's 10 months younger. She's an addict. And, and, and um, so we're the only two people in my family on both sides that have drug or alcohol problems. So he took me to my first AA meeting. I didn't know anything about recovery. I just didn't know how to stop. And um, the only thing I remember, it was a bunch of old guys smoking and um so this would be 1987 and um and, and i don't remember anything i heard in that room and we went back to the house and i remember talking to him we kind of got in a little bit of an argument but we we're going back and forth and um we were talking about faith and he said i had to believe in god to get sober and and i told him i didn't believe in god and we got into an argument about it and um I swore I'd no. I swore I'd never go back to AA, and he left. And so my second meeting was when I was 44, and that's the last time I drank. I stayed out of AA that whole time. I spent that whole time, whole time trying to manage my addiction, and then trying to manage my drinking. I was able to manage my addiction. Um, with speed. I, I quit, and I moved up to the Bay Area, moved to San Francisco. And I haven't done. I've done hard drugs once since 89. I did coke at a party, but it, it was nothing. But I, I knew enough to stay away from hard drugs when um, when I moved up here. Um, but I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I moved up here and I was just, I, I wasn't sober, I just didn't use. And um, it was kind of nice, I got to reinvent myself. I got super into the punk scene, kind of threw myself into it, I got to reinvent myself. And it was like a, it's like a new beginning. And um, it, it, it worked for a little while. You know, I lived in San Francisco for about two years and um, I, I, I barely drank. Um, I, um, I never really had that many issues with drinking. Um, but right before I moved to Oakland, um, I went on my first tour. Um, I had a friend who was a musician that I was living with and um, he went on tour I was, in, I was I was kind of a backyard mechanic. I worked on the street in San Francisco, and they offered me offered to take me as a roadie, and um, that, I played music as well. 
and and I jumped on and um, it was with a band from England. And that was the first time I really I sort of learned how to drink again. And it was with it was with professionals, you know. So I I, I had a lot of experience, but um, it was awesome. Like it totally absolutely changed my life. The first time I found something I was interested in, I clicked. It was like music. It, it was being mechanic. Um, I I had a, a focus for a lot of my energy, but it also gave me a way that I could drink as well. And the nice, the interesting about drinking on on tours, you're drinking in a different place every, um, every night, and you can almost reinvent yourself. I remember times going into a a place, and and I usually drive during the day. Um, I remember going into a bar or into a club, and I'd order six beers back to back. The bartenders would would realize they got a, a problem. And I was able to quit after six beers uh, because I had to drive afterwards. So like, so touring gave me a way of managing my drinking. Um, the other way I managed my drinking is I'd either drink on tour and I'd usually start to get sick because um, we I wouldn't stop drinking at six. I would drink more afterwards. But um, I'd either drink a lot on tour and come back, come back home sick and quit drinking or I'd go on tour and not drink, which happened a lot of times. Um, and come home and drink and drink myself sick. So just the the touring allowed me to sort of extend my drinking career. And it was what I thought it was. And and and, and I learned how to drink. I've been to Europe five times. I've been across the states probably thirty times, all over Canada, New Mexico, and didn't cost me a thing. I got to drink in every city, probably over a hundred thousand people. But it, it it made drinking romantic. And um, what it does too is it keeps your life moving forward. Even even though it's the same every day, it feels like you're doing something because you're just moving forward. You're going to the next city, even though you're doing exactly the same thing. So what what happened is is um, I've always suffered from depression. Um, I, I started getting depressed on tour, and it was harder and harder to go on tour. And um, I spent most of the tours like really depressed. I was depressed when I was home too, and. Um, I met somebody, um, we, we got into a relationship and we started a business and that's when I quit touring, started a printing business. But what I remember is um, the last tour I did was ironically was, was with the same people I started with when they were in a different band. And um, I came back kind of sick from tour, uh, from drinking. And my partner at the time uh, drank as well. And I remember, I remember coming back from tour being sick that first night I went out and bought alcohol, which surprised me. And I drank for the next 15 years straight. And by staying home, by quitting touring, we started this business. I didn't have that on and off anymore. I was just here all the time. And I was able to drink like I wanted to. And, um, and the way I like to drink is I like to stay buzzed a little bit all the time. Um, I don't like to get shit-faced drunk. I haven't peed. Actually, I have peed the bed, but, but I haven't done it that often. Um, I, I'm just a person that likes to stay drunk. And that's what I, I, I slowly did that more and more over the course of 15 years. And my, and my life got smaller and smaller. It was a printing business. And so it allowed me to isolate. And I did what I like to do. I like to get drunk and I like to work on stuff. I'll work on a motorcycle, work on a car as a mechanic too, or I'll work on printing equipment. I learned how to print drunk. I, I did construction on the side. I learned how to do construction drunk. I've learned how to do four trades drunk and um, each one I swore I'm going to do sober and each one I've learned how to do pretty well drunk. 
But what happened with that is um, spent the next 15 years working this union job and printing at night and drinking. And it isolated me slowly more and more. And I still had the depression too. I just um, didn't really pay, pay attention to it. I just, it, it got really bad. Um, and I, I, and again, I don't have a dramatic bottom. I have this dramatic emotional bottom. I always talk about my bottom being like a skid mark and it, it just kept going on forever. It was slow and painful and every day was almost the same. And, and, and um, I, I tried to quit drinking a few times um, before I quit the last time. And I was able to quit for a couple of days, a couple of weeks. One, one time I even quit for, I quit for six months at one point. And what I remember is the entire time I was keyed up, I was, I was on edge. Um, I was, felt like an asshole the entire time. I felt uncomfortable constantly, but I knew I couldn't drink. And I've heard that I've heard said before in different meetings. And when I started drinking again, my partner was really happy. She was happy in the beginning. Because from her, her point of view, she didn't see this darkness. Um, but all she saw is I started drinking and I, and I was back to being normal, you know, which is slightly drunk all the time. <laughs> um, but my health started to get worse. And my drinking, I started drinking more and more. And um, I started trying to control it in different ways possible. Like I tried to limit my drinking. And what that would do is, is I'd start drinking earlier and earlier in the day. So I drink super early. I would take a nap and I'd wake up and I'd be okay. But I, I had to have alcohol every day. And um, at the end, what it looked like is, is um, my ex-wife, she's from Ohio and her, um, um, she had a bunch of family start to die. And so she'd go out there. She had two grandmas die. Her dad got cancer, died. She had an uncle who died. And it was just like, she was always having to go out there. I'm so I was left alone with two little dogs and I got left alone at the house. And um, she, I remember she, she went out there about six times. I remember the fifth time she went out there for 10 days. I just stayed in bed and I drank. And that's all I did. I drank for nine and a half days. And um, again, it wasn't glamorous. I'd wake up, I'd drink before I ate so I could get drunker and I'd fall asleep wake up again. I'd do that a couple of times and I'd have to get some food. So I'm hypoglycemic, which is the opposite of being, opposite of being diabetic. Get a little food, drink a little more, go back to sleep. And, and that's what I did for almost 10 days. Um, and she came back and I somehow cleaned the house. The dogs had peed and pooped all over the house. The place was a disaster. I cleaned it up okay. And she came home and didn't know, didn't know anything about it. Um, so when her father passed away, she was going out there again. She's going out there for a little bit longer too. By this time I had quit my union job. I'd made up a, I got a resentment against my, for, my foreman who was actually um, an alcoholic in recovery. And um, we got in an argument. We were good friends at the time. We got in an argument, he embarrassed me and uh, which he'd never done. And I used that as an excuse to stop working there. What that allowed me to do that last year allowed me to drink in the mornings, um, and and so when I knew she was leaving again, I knew I didn't have this, I didn't have any other work. I'd be at the house for like ten days to two weeks, and I knew I, I couldn't stop drinking. 
I've been trying to quit drinking for like the last year or two. And I could not stop drinking. I had to drink every single day. And, um, and I had a friend in my union that would reach out to me. Um, and he asked if I want to go to a meeting. He had about 15 years sober. And I would blow him off like, no, I, I, don't, I don't need a meeting. I, I'm good. I'm good. Um, and, and he'd come back at me like a, you know, after for like another month or two, asked if I want to go to a meeting. I'd say no. And he, he was asking me, I think it was because at one point I told him I wanted to quit drinking. I didn't know how. I know now he's trying to 12-step me, but he never really pushed that hard, you know. And then he'd come back around. We, we used to ride dirt bikes together occasionally. And we had some mutual friends. And um, one day I called him. I think I called him on a Monday and said, yeah, I want to go to a meeting. Um, so he, he told me where he went on Tuesdays. So Tuesday at 6.30. And uh, I was going to meet him there. And what I usually tell people is it was the first day I didn't drink during the day because I didn't know you could come to AA when you're drunk. So if you're drunk in this meeting, uh, please keep listening. I mean, if you're, if you're drunk in a meeting, um, you're in the right place. And that was the first day I, I, I didn't drink during the, during the day because I thought I had to go sober. And um, for some reason, I woke up that day and something was different. Like I didn't feel that compulsion to drink either. Um, I still wanted to drink, but I, I, I was able to not drink. And I went to that meeting at 630. I thought he was going to be there to help shepherd me into AA and he had to work. So I went through all alone. I raised my hand and I said, I'm Richard, I'm, I'm Richard, I'm an alcoholic. And I haven't had a drink since then. What happened after that is um, I started going to a lot of meetings. I didn't know anything about AA. I um, but I was so broken and desperate, I was willing to do anything. And, but I was willing to do anything but get a sponsor or listen to people. So I went to a lot of meetings. And um, in a lot of meetings, I mean like three or four a day. Um, I'd go to the 6.30 in the morning. I'd go to the late show. I'd get a few hours sleep, go back to 6.30. I'd do some meetings during the day. I did that for about nine months. And um, I want to say my life got better. It got different. You know, I stopped drinking. Um, I was I was suicidal. I was mentally unstable. I was a fucking mess. And um, but I kept not drinking. I kept going to meetings. I, I sat in the back. We used to call it death row. Um, I I'd sit in the back. I'd get there late. I'd leave early. I didn't want any contact with people. I I met people slowly, only because I went to so many meetings. Um, so, so sometimes people would catch me or would be friends of friends. And, and I knew, I knew some people from the nineties that were in the meetings. So I, I knew a few people, but again, I, I didn't, I didn't stick around. I didn't raise my hand. I didn't do anything. I got my first sponsor at about nine months. And it was that same story where somebody walks up and basically says, I'm going to be your sponsor. He asked if I wanted a sponsor. I'd been looking for one, but I couldn't find the right person. Like nobody was a perfect fit. And if you're looking for a sponsor right now, just get a sponsor, get a temporary sponsor, grab somebody, sit down, get in the book. Because what I did is I, I sat in this, this, um, this in-between zone and um, I, I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't drinking, but, but I wasn't, didn't feel like I was living. Um, so I, but I started working the steps with him and we sat down and we started reading and it turns out like I 
couldn't read. My reading, I, I used to be a voracious reader, I read all the time. I used to read it as an escape as well, which I didn't know we could do. Uh, so I, I was addicted to reading when I was young as well. But um, I would read a sentence, I'd forget it. So eventually we just started talking the book. I went to a lot of meetings. Um, he had like 36 years sober or whatever it was. And he, and he started walking me through the steps. And I started paying attention more. We, we, we met every week. And um, yeah, and we, we, are at, we started going through the book. And we, I, got, I got on my fourth step and he went on a trip across the country. What happens, I had a mental, I guess you'd call it a mental breakdown. I used to have panic and anxiety attacks. And I got one of them where everything started spinning. Um, and instead of, I didn't have my tool, I, I didn't have alcohol. Um, so for the first time ever, I, I went to the hospital. I went to the ER and I saw a psychiatrist and they gave me medication. And from that point on, my life changed. Um, and and it, my program changed as well. Um, I, I talked to my sponsor over the phone. I realized that he was he, he's not anti-medication, but I was definitely talking about mental illness and he wasn't picking up on it. He kept telling me to go to meetings. Um, and I got a different sponsor. I got stabilized on medication. And for the first time, I wasn't having panic attacks. I wasn't depressed every day. And what that did is that made my life better, which was great, but it opened up AA where I could actually get into recovery instead of just not drinking. So working with my second sponsor, he is the one that guided me through the steps. Um, and it was great. You know, it's been a huge, it's been an amazing experience. I still meet with the same guy. I guess I've worked with him about six, six years, six and a half years. And um, choosing the second sponsor, I overthought it as well. When a couple months, it was a couple months in between and it was, it was rough. I was looking for the perfect guy. And again, if you're trying to find that perfect sponsor, just grab a temporary sponsor and sit down and get in a book. I just tell people like, sit down with somebody, get in a book. And the guy, I, I did find the perfect sponsor. And what I usually tell, tell people is I was in a meeting, the same meeting I, at Soberat. I saw a guy who was talking to a bunch of women. Um, he's, he's probably 65, I think. He was talking to a bunch of women at different ages. They're all very relaxed and, and and laughing around him. And and that's what I wanted. I didn't want a creepy guy. I'd, I'd witnessed a lot of weird stuff in the rooms. And here's a guy who was comfortable around women. The women liked him, took care of himself. And that's actually, at, at that time, it was really important to me. And I really liked that he, um, again, I really liked that he respected women. Um, so, so, so again, we went through the steps. And my life got a lot better, you know, and I thought it was, Things, things, things got better. Still went to a lot of meetings. Um, and I, I was going to say, how much time do we have? 15 minutes. Okay. So the big, there's been a couple of big events um, in my sobriety. And I'll talk about the first one. So the first time um, with my first sponsor, that printing business, the printing business I had, um, I got a phone call from my ex-wife about 3.30 in the morning and that the building was on fire. And um, hopped in the car, we lived about 30 blocks away. I drove down there, and the building was indeed on fire. Like I saw it from the freeway. I pulled up and um, the fire had started in the building and back. It was the same building that had been separated 
there was a guy, he, he nodded off and caught his bedding on fire, killed him and his roommate, and it, and it jumped roofs and jumped into our building. Our building had about had about 35 people living there. We had about 4,000 square feet with a print shop. And we had everything we had in our lives we had in that shop. I'd put, I'd come back to work at my union job. I We'd put all our money for the last 15 years into it. And um, I didn't know what to do. Um, so I called my sponsor for the first time. It was the first time I had that, that crossroads in my life where I, I didn't know what to do. I called him, I called him at 5.30 because he woke up early. And, and he said, let's go to a meeting. He came down there. I was going to the 6.30 meeting at central office and uh, I was going to that meeting most days. I went to the meeting and um, I raised my hand for one of the first times I, sh I shared. I just burst out crying. But, it, but, but for me, that was the first time I didn't know what to do. And I, and I asked AA, I called my sponsor. Um, for me, that was the first time I felt like I did step three. You know, I really turned it over. Um, the other there's been a couple the other thing that was really big in recovery for me is working with sponsees i've got i've got a sponsee that's coming i think he's got five and a half years he's the first person i work with i was nervous i was afraid I was afraid i'd fuck him up or he'd drink but it's been it's been the best experience i've had it, it opened up this whole new level for aa like i said i was going in aa everything was good you know i got the cash and prizes my, my, my life was simple my life was really fulfilling but it was kind of the same. And then once I started sponsoring people, it opened up this whole nother world. It, it opened up like meetings became almost 3D, um, you know, because of the, the, the meetings in the, in the book have so much more depth, in my humble opinion, when I'm sponsoring somebody. And, um, and, and I started just sponsoring more and more people. And I've been really lucky. I've, I've um, sponsored just some awesome people. But again, the nice thing about that is it keeps me in the book, usually at least a few times a week. There's so many sponsees I'm meeting at least two or three times a week. Um, at different points, I'm meeting almost every night and I'm doing meetings as well. But I said, but like I said, everything changes depending on people's schedule. But right now, I meet with sponsees about three to four times a week. Um, the, the, the other thing I try and tell people that are coming in is you can you can deal with pretty much everything in AA. I've seen people deal with horrendous things. The probably the most traumatic thing I dealt with is that same guy that got me sober. He ended up shooting himself, and um, he had long-term sobriety and he went out. And we had the circle of friends, like probably eight of us. We were all sober, and um, he stopped taking his meds. And he just got sicker and sicker. He was sick for the last couple of years. He was alive. And um, when he finally shot himself, like I, I didn't know what to do. It was that same thing that the building was burning too. And what I did is I got on my motorcycle, I went to a meeting, you know, I just raised my hand and just started talking about it. And um, that's how I got through it. It's a nice thing about having home groups I don't, I don't have a meeting that I consider my home group, but there's, um, but there's eight meetings I go to every week that I should say they're on my home group, but I don't have that one meeting a week I go to. I go to eight that I'm expected to be at. I mean, if I don't go to those, the, the people will wonder. 
but I went to those eight meetings, went to way more after he passed away. And, um, and I raised my hand, just kept talking. And the friends that he had in the program too, we all sort of grouped together as well. And we were texting and calling each other. And what we did is we just like walked through it, you know, and I'm not that level of grief. I'm not used to dealing with, you know, I'm used to shutting down, used to drinking. Um, it's like this whole new toolbox and it's pretty amazing. And you can, it can go pretty deep, you know, the same toolbox helps me when I wake up in the morning, helps me when I, when I'm feeling nervous at work, it helps me when somebody asks me to do the 40 minutes share on Saturday night, you know, it's the same toolbox. I, and I can just keep on going through there. And that's the nice thing too, is if I can't figure out what to do, I can borrow somebody else's as well. And, um, 10 minutes. So that's or nine minutes. So I'll go to the sort of the last thing or the, or the second to last thing. Um, I, I talk about four and five. I did that and I, um, everyone's afraid of the four step. I tell people just do it. Um, just get through it. Um, hopefully you'll, you'll do the steps more than once. Don't overthink it. Um, I, I didn't do it quickly. I didn't do it slowly. But what was kind of amazing is um, how cathartic it was. I'd never told anybody all of my secrets. I'd never told somebody all of my resentments. A lot of them were, were really big. A lot of them were really simple. You know, I had a resentment against my ninth grade economics teacher. Why? Because he embarrassed me in a class. You know, and I, I carried that for like 35 years. I had a resentment against my dad. Why? Because he beat me. You know, he's a bad, bad person. But like those, those two, they, they both carried a lot of weight. You know, the, that's the thing is resentments don't, a lot of times they don't make sense. That ninth grade teacher made me drink. You know, it should have been all, all about my dad. But it wasn't, it was the ninth grade teacher as well. Um, nothing made me drink, but it was the way that I dealt with problems. Um, and it got me to eight and nine. And that was kind of the most amazing thing is it, it, it stuff like my mom, you know, I hated my mom for like 15 years, 20 years, I hated her. And um, through AA, I was able to start a relationship with her. And um, I finally had that magic moment where I could, I could make amends to her. I was like this, and I could feel it. It was like, I was waiting for the right, right time. And it really felt like the perfect time where at my house, was doing something, I just turned to her and, and made amends to her. And the totally amazing thing was, she doesn't know anything about AA. Um, she turned around, she apologized to me for, for, for my chaotic childhood. I could have never, ever expected that. It was just, just this huge release. And um, I carried that weight my entire life. And it just kept adding to it too, you know? It was just like such a huge game changer. The other thing too is like, um, I didn't have to make amends to my dad. I didn't do anything bad to him. He got taken away when I was 15. Uh, my first sponsor cleared that up, cleared up all the shame and guilt I had from stuff that happened when I was a kid and I, I didn't have a part in it. The only, the only part I had was I carried it for so long. That was my part, was I kept it, I held it, I used it as an excuse. And that, was, that was huge for me. So like I didn't have to make amends to my dad, but I did have to forgive him. I never thought I would. And once I got to that point too, 
same thing, this huge weight as she lifts it off me. And um, and so so going through the steps, working with sponsees, with my sponsors, like every step feels like I'm shedding weight. And um, then I'll, I'll kind of pivot to the last thing. So I came in, I came in an atheist and, um, but I was so desperate, I was willing to do anything. I was willing to do anything to get sober. And um, I guess my, my last partner before, I think it was after we broke up, she accused me of, of being an agnostic. And um, the first time, like, I, I was okay with it. Yeah, what, what I've done is, what, and I still sponsor people. I sponsor people right out of the book, big book, the 12 and 12. Uh, because but most a lot of people that work with me, they come in and they're atheists. And I sponsor them um, from the actually from the big book. I don't do anything special. We we don't really change the literature. We change pronouns, but we don't change a lot of the words. I don't work an alternative 12-step program. Because what I tell them too is I want them to get sober um, the way I got sober, which is through the big book and through the 12 and 12. That means that if I'm in Ohio or Michigan or Florida, I can go to an AA meeting and I feel a part of. I don't have to look for a special meeting and I don't have to have special circumstances. Like, and right now I'm really grateful I can walk into AA, any AA meeting. And they can, they can talk about little baby Jesus. That's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, and they can talk, or they can talk about God. And I, I understand what they're talking about. And um, the, the funny thing is most of my sponsees have found higher powers. And um, so I've been like a stepping stone most of my sponsees but what, what happened like a few years ago is i started doing what everybody else was doing i started praying in the mornings um, i started doing morning readings and it, and it really the, the prayer started helping me a lot and um one of my sponsees i i started learning how to work a spiritual spiritual program as an atheist and i just want to tell people it, it's really easy it's super easy um, I put God on my four-step. I did a lot of work around that. And that's why I can be in meetings. I don't, it doesn't feel like a trigger word anymore. Um, but the, the sponsees have allowed me to find a different a different level to that. I don't know what I'm saying. So I'll give you the last, the last story is, um, there's a guy I sponsor, and um, I mean, he's a lawyer. He's got a degree in psychology. I'm a 10th grade dropout. That's the funny thing in AA. I'm sponsoring him. He's, he's a smart guy. Um, he's been trying to quit drinking for, for 10 years, and he can't. And the bottom line is he ended up burning all his bridges, losing his job, and he ended up on, on my couch. And and he was he was working this job as um with uh, the process server and um he's on my couch the only agreement was he go to meetings and he not drink came home drunk and i had to kick him out and um kick him out i didn't hear from him for three days and i was pretty worried he's a pretty he, he's got a pretty gnarly bottom he's the type of guy that likes to go to the tenderloin and 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 give all his stuff away and um, that, and that's usually what happens. And he comes back battered and bruised. And um, I I didn't know how else I could help him. 
what it did is I got I got desperate again, which was great. Got on my knees. I started praying in the morning for his safety. And um, like, like three days later, I, I hear a knock on my door. It's him. And he um, went to the tenderloin, gave all his stuff away again. And he came back on my, on my doorstep ready to do it again. And um, he got back on the couch. He drank again. And I had to kick him out again. And I did the same thing, though. Like, he, he got me on my knees to, to pray. I don't know what that means. It was just like this different level of openness, which the program, it, it's like this gift the program gives me. And um, he's, at, he's at Salvation Army. He was. He drank again. And, and now he's at City Team. But it's been a great journey with him, too. And, and, and he's a stout atheist. He's been really struggling with that. And we laugh because he's the one that got me on my knees um, to pray, to pray for his safety. And so if you're new to this, um, just keep coming to meetings. When it feels uncomfortable, just keep leaning in. Um, it's not a competition, but um, really, if, if you feel awkward or feel lost, just raise your hand and get a commitment. I've got three or four commitments, and it really helps to have um, a, a job, whether it's coffee, um, treasurer, or secretary. It's really important. It, it's a draw for the meeting. It seems really silly, but it really gets us to a meeting every week with no excuses. And, and again, trying to get a sponsor. And, and as soon as you can talk to your sponsor, as soon as you're ready, start sponsoring people. And um, I'll, I'll say all three of those things have made such a huge difference in my life. My life now is is great. I've got one minute left. Um, I, I wake up, I pray in the mornings. I've got a partner who's in the program as well. Um, my life is amazing. Like I, I really like it. Um, that, that's really all I can say. I wake up and I and I want to live. It's what I usually tell people. Um, yeah, actually, my life is great. I'm discovering the person who I never knew I was is a different is another thing I say too. So again, if you're new, if you want what if you want what we have, do what we do. And uh, thanks a lot.